Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, the cat just showed up. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Okay. I got to visit Hilltop Coffee and Kitchen today for the first time, mm-hmm. which is Issa Rae's chain of coffee shops. Yes. So she has one in Inglewood. I believe that's the first one. She has one in LA off Slauson. She has one in Eagle Rock. And there was a pop-up in DTLA, but it's been shut down temporarily due to uh, unexpected flooding, unfortunately. Unexpected. Due to the, uh, rather than the expected flooding. Well, all those people who live in like uh, those, you know, like the people who live in like Tornado Alley. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then they're on the news like, I can't believe this happened. Instead, it's Santee Alley. Um, what did you think of Hilltop? I thought it was super cute. I wish there was one closer to where we live. Yeah, that it was, is really cute. That wasn't a flooded pop-up. Uh, the one, we went to the one in Inglewood. Mm-hmm. It almost yeah. looks like an old bank. Mm-hmm. I thought it felt pretty chill. I liked uh, the vibe seating was comfortable. The it's f- a large space. And then there's like a second level. That's almost like a loft, like a loft. Like a loft. Yeah. The food yeah. is good. Uh, yeah. We ordered a breakfast burrito. I enjoyed my coffee and, and then uh, we ordered something called a cherry pop or cherry bomb, mm-hmm. which was almost like pull apart bread mm-hmm. <laughs> or as people like to, well, it's in the grocery store is monkey bread. I don't like that name, but it's kind of like monkey bread shaped like a muffin, but then the inside was like like a nice Bavarian cream. Yes. And then there were like candied cherries in it. It was very difficult to eat, but it was very good. It was very tasty. Yeah. So I, I was surprised at that item. I didn't expect there to be so much going on. But yeah, it's really cute. I was. It, it made me feel sad for, well, one of my... One of my favorite parts about living in Minnesota was like while I was in school, all of the coffee shops I enjoyed, mm-hmm. there were so many. Yeah. And there was actual seating in most of them. And seating and it felt comfortable and safe. And now, you know, all these years later is living in LA. I'm not in school, but I do find like I'll often stop. Uh, there's a Starbucks um, not too far away that I like to go sit at. Usually to get like an hour's worth of work done before I go to the gym Mm -hmm. some days. And it's just unfortunate. There's really nowhere to comfortably sit. The Starbucks I like to go to at least, I mean, every time I'm there at at least once during that one hour visit, an unhoused individual sort of storms in and acts crazy. Mm -hmm. Or or straight up encamped somewhere. Or asleep in the doorway. In, in, where, no, like seated there and encamped or... Or that, yeah, taking up like a bunch... Or it'll be like a group of people who clearly have nowhere else to go. Uh-huh. So they're just like, yeah, camped. And I don't know. I mean, I know people are have a lot of opinions about this situation. I don't have any answers. I don't know what we're supposed to do. But it just seems really odd that there's like no way... I mean, it's a private business and Mm -hmm. yesterday when I was there, some lady came in and just started like, she was really sweaty and dirty, like literally dripping with like sweat and grime and came in and like tore apart one of the napkin holders and basically like wiped herself down. So now there's this like mound of dirty napkins and then she went to like the front and was grabbing at the food, like the. And then it's like, 
<laughs> I don't know, demanding to use the bathroom, demanding water, and it's it's just kind of well, it's just unfor- it's unfortunate, unfortunate all around. But you know, the the ripple Excuse effect me. is. You know, not trying to sound so much like, oh, my comfort is impinged upon, but it's just like, Jesus, we're, we are existing in a world now where it's just functional dysfunction. I, I, I don't know. I just don't understand <laughs> that. Like we've normalized, you know, straight up just walking past or running past people just to sleep on the street, like, like the undead. I don't know. It, well, living in a big city, it feels normal. I don't know. Well, it doesn't feel normal. It just like... No, it doesn't feel normal. But like, I think it's just people don't really react anymore. It's just like, well, we have to get used to No, we're being... so desensitized. But um, but I was going to say, uh, on a, not that not every Starbucks is raggedy. The one I like to go do to write in is uh, in Echo Park. It's a, a Starbucks reserve, technically. Uh, and that one is always pretty cool calm and collected and they have a nice outside seating area except it's right across the street from a firehouse so there can be um interruptions there are smaller coffee shops around that are better but then yes they usually you know parking's an issue because whenever i tell someone oh i'm going to starbucks or i'm at starbucks it's like oh like you're trash but yeah i know it's not the best like there are it, it it would be better to go to other spaces but they're just not as readily available or That's easy, true. or a lot of them don't have seating. My well, see, my favorite place to go to is actually right down the street from the Starbucks called Stories Cafe. It's a bookstore slash coffee shop slash restaurant, and they have outdoor seating as well. Um, love going there. It's just that if you go, it can be hard to find seating. Well, there's a very popular coffee shop like a block away from where we live called Lab Coffee. Um, yes, that's true. We've but, been there. Yeah, and the coffee's great, and they have like, I, I, I think it's like a school where they train people on. That's true. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they're legit, but then it's not a very nice, comfortable space to be in. Mm-hmm. So then it's really like, well, yeah, if I just want like some nice coffee to go, sure. But usually, I don't ever buy coffee just to be like, I'm gonna. There's also that place around the corner that has seems like it's been having trouble. Coffee, coffee. I think it's closed again. Oh, on Melrose? On Melrose, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. And I, I, did I tell you, it was probably two months ago now, I walked by, I, I was on my uh, daily run, and there were people protesting about being, uh, their wages. The, oh. Um, they they weren't paid. So I, I think whoever's managing that place has had financial difficulties. But I have had coffee there once, and it's cute. Oh, wow. Yeah, no. I, I've never, I, I know they're open late. Or what's that other place that somehow managed to survive where the old Amoeba music is? Um, I like that place too. Oh. Common Grounds? Isn't that across the street? Yeah, but I mean, in that that vicinity. Yeah, it's cute. Uh, I feel like we're going on about very specific things. Anyway. Moving on. Uh, Queen of the Universe Season 2 is done. The series has been canceled, so... We, uh, I guess, are fortunate to have experienced it in real time. Uh, I really disliked this season. The judging was crap. I mean, the judging specifically was... Mel B. Mel B. Wow. Ugh. But I wasn't. I'm not impressed by Trixie's judging. Uh, 
Vanessa was a bit mercurial as well, more so than usual. Uh, Graham Norton seems like even like his attitude seemed like he knew it was some bullshit. Yeah, he like seemed very like checked out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, checked out. Uh, but who ended up in the final three? And then, I, if you are going to be criticized or judged, I believe that I believe criticism should be constructive. I don't think it should be mean or cruel. But you lay yourself you you make yourself vulnerable. Where do we get to a place where people can't be critiqued? Where do we get to this place? Well, especially if you have entered a competition reality show, I, I think that you're saying I'm open to critique. And you can and you can talk back. You can clap back at those who critique you. But just because you made it to the finale or made it to like as in RuPaul's drag race and all stars thing, that doesn't mean that you're above reproach. That doesn't mean that you don't you can't people don't think you do shit work or you you make mistakes. I, I don't know. I just I'm so tired of everything being smoothed over for for what so no point going through the the show because clearly people didn't watch it the winner is someone named tiger brava from mexico um which good for him his family was there it looked i guess it was a sweet know. moment but i was thinking maybe the reason the show is not as i don't know what the issue was except that i think it is interesting to watch these drag queens uh so men who do drag although I believe at least two of them identify as trans or like non-binary. Yes. Mm -hmm. For sure, uh, Giselle Royale is a trans woman. And I think Aura Eternal is... Maybe. I, you, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't recall. But but either way, it's... I don't know that it works because these queens sing with, I guess, what we would say is like a man's voice. So they have beautiful voices, mm -hmm. but the voices don't match the aesthetic. So I think as the audience, it, and then the song choices, like there's, I believe the majority of the selections, like 99% are from female artists. Mm -hmm. So they have the budget to have popular music, but then it's from female artists whose songs we know. So then the voice of the person singing on the show, it feels very like, like a huge departure. Mm -hmm. So it's not always the most pleasant. And then they're being judged as if like, a woman is singing it and it's like well this is a man singing donna summer so mm -hmm. <laughs> it's going to sound a little different but then they're doing it like the version we all know there's just a disconnect that... there's well to me the real disconnect is how many singing drag queens are there well that too <laughs> i or you know and a fine expanding you know the plateau of uh the universe of drag which i think comes in many shapes and sizes and, and is, you know, that th that's not the conversation I want to get into. It's just that I don't know that there needs to be a stipulation that the singer also has to do some kind of female impersonation aesthetic somewhere. I, I just make a song for singers then, or a show for singers. It's just a gimmick that clearly people, it didn't resonate with people. It feels to me like when you get like, chicken tiki masala pizza or cheeseburger pizza and it's like i those can be yummy it's not that they're not yummy it's just like do i, I want know, a restaurant devoted to i those? don't know that i need like yeah i like my pepperoni pizza mm -hmm. however you like your pizza it just seems like yeah if, if i want chicken tiki masala with naan I'll, you know like mm -hmm. i'll go to the indian restaurant and get that then some funky place that's selling all these different themed pizzas and 
they're all kind of like, eh. I mean, I like trying shit like that though. So that's a weird I mean, analogy. The, the analogy for me is like, oh yes, let's do it. <laughs> and then all stars see RuPaul's Drag Race All Stars eight. Uh, so we're in the top three. Alexis Michelle finally got booted after she uh, shadily eliminated Lala Ree, but now she's gone. And her reaction to it was like. Again, I don't understand why people get on TV and make themselves look so unappealing. Uh-huh. Like, then, why would you want to seem like a victim and you're always crying? And that shit is not cute. It's weird and creepy. And I don't know what it, it, the, 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 the weird confession about also now having an attraction to Candy Muse. Is oh, like, and the, um, the minute she sends home her previous crush, now she's saying she has a crush on... <laughs> I don't quite understand the technique uh, or, or whatever. The logic. The, the logic, except you just seem like somebody, and You seem like somebody I want to run away from. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's it. Okay. So I was look. There's a website called Ranker. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's one uh, poll ranking the most overrated actors. Oh no! Ever okay. So so Sigourney is not an okay. I was going so to don't worry. But I was going to go through the top ten just to get your reaction. That are most overrated. The most overrated. Starting at number ten. Number ten, Rosie O'Donnell. Oh come on! Okay. I mean, the only overrated. movie I can remember her in is A League of Their Own. Oh, you, you don't remember? I know she's in the Flintstones. Exit to Eden. Oh, I could rewatch because <laughs> isn't uh? Oh no, is Ellen in that movie? I think. Are you thinking of Mr. Wrong? I think. I think I'm thinking of Mr. Wrong. Oh my God! The the Mr. Wrong poster with Ellen DeGeneres. This is before she came out as the lesbian. Uh, where she's screaming in a wedding gown next to Bill Pullman is something to be cherished. I'm looking at it now. <laughs> I that should be a secret movie. I made that the um, cover for a project as an undergrad in a sex and sexuality class. It was called Little White Lies. No oh boy. Number nine, Machine Gun Kelly. Oh, agreed. Bye. Go away. But he's only been in a few things. That's fine. Still. All I can fine. think of is Bird Box and. Oh, God. What else? Yeah. That Megan Kelly movie, or that Megan Kelly, that Megan Fox movie he did. Well, wow. no, it's his movie. She has a non speaking role in it. Well, guess who number Taurus? eight is? Megan Fox. <laughs> yeah, I don't need any more her either. Uh, this is also why you don't like, especially as a younger person that met that like remodified their face. And it's like, well, now look, I don't know. although she's in, well, rogue, that rogue direct, that was terrible. about her being like a lion catcher. I think she's working with that director again. And then yeah. isn't she in that movie where like her, she has like an abusive husband and there's like a final scene. Like, yes. Like with, on an, like, with like Tim an iced Ro- over lake. We, we reviewed it with Tim Roth's kid. Uh, she's also in a movie that's about to come out called Johnny and Clyde. Oh God. I've never seen Jennifer's body. People seem to like that. I need a tamp. I don't like, I don't like Diablo Cody's dialogue. I just, I don't. Number seven, Andy Dick. Yeah. I know who he is Mm -hmm. and I know, like, I know he was in a, um, there was a TV show about like, he he was on a popular TV show, but Although, is, is it my own self-loathing, remnants of my own self-loathing from the late 90s that are making me have that reaction to Andy Dick? I don't know. Number six, Madonna. Okay, but I don't think anyone thinks she's a good actor. Like, don't you have to be considered a good actor to be overrated? I don't... Mm. Who thinks Madonna is a good actor? 
I mean, I hope Meryl Streep better be on this list. Uh, yeah, nobody, nobody has ever thought that. I have never seen. Is it Shanghai? Shanghai, not Express with Sean Penn. Yeah, Shanghai Surprise. That. You didn't watch it. I've with never me? seen that. Oh, I watched it because I listened to a podcast about it. It's not good. No, I know, but uh, yeah, she's not. And I've still never seen her. Uh, the Guy Ritchie remake of Swept Away. I've seen that. The original is fantastic number five amy schumer yeah i only can think of her in that one movie train wreck uh the oh no the, the one, humans the humans wait that's it she, i forgot about train wreck she's fine in the i humans. thought she was fine in the humans. oh that one with goldie hahn that's dumb that was a missed opportunity oh that's right snatch number four Kristen stewart Okay, I think that she has. Uh, I've liked her in some things. I've liked her in her indie art house era. Uh, I, like I will say, the Twilight movies, she was insufferable. Yeah, but everybody, <laughs> everybody was. And, True. And to be fair, they all, all of them hate those movies because they're terrible. Number three, Beyonce. Uh-huh. Um, I, yeah, I'm not going to speak ill of. Uh, what speak of lord and savior no but... she's well she's not my lord and savior i like several i I like a decent amount of her music i don't find her to be a goddess but uh i don't think she has enough of a personality to be, well i don't know how to say this i don't think she is a good actor i haven't seen oh you, yeah we're talking about acting you, um you like um, i like her Cadillac Cadillac records. records i, I I didn't think she was doing anything special. Really? I think and that's probably her best role. I think she's good in that. I thought Dream Girls, she was <laughs> Dream Girls, she's kind of being the archetype that she is. Right. Uh, and then everything else is like, ooh. <laughs> uh well, voice work in the Lion King I didn't think was necessary. Number uh, two, Miley Cyrus. Acting? She's in an I mean Hannah Black, Montana, but I've never seen Hannah Montana. An episode of Black Mirror. Oh, an episode, yeah. So I can't say I actually do like Miley Cyrus. Oh, she's in something coming out that I've I, I yeah. She seems like a cool person considering her like she seems pretty well adjusted. And every time I see her in interviews, I think she's funny. I do like her singing voice, mm-hmm. but yeah, I've never seen uh Hannah Montana. She's a bit part. I think she's in the new Ethan Cohen film. Number one is Jaden Smith. Number one? Yeah. I don't, I mean, I've only ever seen him in the movie with his dad. Or After Earth is bad, yeah. Which I, never, I thought was bad. I never saw the Karate Kid remake. I've never seen the original Karate Kid. He's in The Pursuit of Happiness? Oh, yeah, I have seen that. But he was a kid, right? Like, yeah, like little. Like, I mean, and his daddy got an Oscar nod for that. Uh this list is kind of that's okay. that's a kind of a trash list too but um moving on we had a question why don't we review more animation i have a secret for all of you talk to joseph it's just never i don't i i don't know what it is but i never think oh i want to watch a cartoon <laughs> it just always feels like oh you want me to watch a cartoon that being said I mean, of course, the Pixar movies, which I haven't seen most of them, but the ones I have like Inside Out. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Was very good. Um, Yeah, I I, I don't have a logical or defined reason why I don't like cartoons. And I don't I wouldn't even say I don't like cartoons. It's just. Well, anime cartoons is kind of, you know, that's kind of shunting it away as to something clearly meant for children which anime is technically not well 
I think I, well, really I should be calling it all animation, mm -hmm. but whenever I think about animation, I think about, oh, it's a cartoon. You like Two Frame Roger Rabbit. Well, that's not a complete cartoon either. Sure. I, I don't have, I, I'm, I'm not saying I don't like animation. It's just if you give me a list of, oh, what do you want to watch this week? And I see something's animation, I immediately think no. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So sorry, I don't have a, a like a real reason. Yes. And, that is and I would be lying if I said I'm going to try to watch more animation. <laughs> I'm not against uh, doing so. I, I just don't feel the need to try harder. Mm -hmm. There are some things that I probably should watch. Yes. But yeah. <laughs> well, well, I definitely watch more than you, and I don't watch terribly too much of it, but I have a lot of catching up to do. But films released we didn't cover The Child. The Child, spelled with an E, uh, South Korean. It's directed by Park Hoon Jun. And I would be interested in watching this because uh, he wrote the script for Kim Ji Yoon's I Saw the Devil from 2010, which is a really good film. Oh. Next, everybody. Uh, Julie Cohen directed this uh, documentary. I think it follows three intersex people. I am interested in watching it. We didn't make time for it this week. Uh, Julie Cohen's last directorial effort we also liked, which was My Name is Polly Murray. Oh. Nimona. Speaking of animated, <laughs> oh. this is an animated Netflix film uh, directed by Nick Bruno and Troy Quayne. Uh, well, for sure, if it's a Netflix animation, I'm saying no. Well, you don't know how they picked it. <laughs> You don't know how they picked it up. If they picked up something major at a film festival, that doesn't. The only, okay. the only Pixar seems safe to me. Like I will probably like it. Well, you sh Miyazaki, you have seen Spirited Away, but uh, yeah. you should probably like, he's a good place to start and anything out of the same studio, you know, but continue. Nimona. I don't know anything about it. It's just that it came out. Next, Prisoner's Daughter. Uh, well, you reviewed this for our yes. website. Yes. So there's a written review Nick uh, contributed. I did. To fishjellyfilms.com. Yes. To, to, you know. But you didn't like it. Not at all. God. You gave it one out of five. Catherine Hardwick has lost it. I don't know that. I'm not going to say that she ever really had it. But, I, you know, her first two films, I was like, oh, this is somebody whose films I will agree to watch. And now it's just like, God, what happened? Lastly, a film I wanted to see, The Unseen. Uh, directed by someone named Vincent Shade, starring R.J. Mitty. Is that how you say his last name? Mm -hmm. From Rest, uh, Rest No, Alone. from Breaking uh, Bad. Breaking Bad. Uh, the, the usual publicists that handle, is it Gravitas? or some? It's either Vertical or Gravitas. I asked the usual publicists that handle this distributor's films, and nobody was responsive and everybody's like oh we're not handling that one so and i granted i only sent like four emails but i'm kind of curious like i would maybe we should try to watch it today and make a video <laughs> if i have to pay for yeah, it. yeah it's on vod uh but let's take a break another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Projects of interest. Isabel Huppert is doing something. Uh, the rumor mill has uh, been, there's been buzz, buzz, buzz uh, that she is uh, 
maybe I, this is to me, this is unsubstantiated. I haven't seen it uh, really printed anywhere that can prove to me that's happening. But apparently she's uh, currently under filming is underway on Hong Sang-soo's uh, third collaboration with her, which wouldn't be unbelievable. He directs two or three movies a year uh, and apparently is losing his eyesight. Uh, so yeah, uh, I would love to have you watch in another country from 2012. That's one of my favorite uh, recent films. Well, contemporary films with her. He also did, it's kind of a medium length film, but Claire's camera in 2017 is also interesting. It film it shot in Cannes while I was there. Uh, many of the sequences filmed where I stayed that particular year were on the stroll that they're walking on quite often. Hmm. Next, Harvest. Uh, Greek director Athena Rachel Sangari has a new project. Uh, she's probably still, God, it's, I, would, I think it's so funny that she was in Richard Linklater's uh, Slacker. <laughs> but anyway, she's become a notable director in her own right. She, uh, for Attenberg and Chevalier, not the terrible Kelvin Harrison Jr. film. Uh, she's adapting a Jim Croce novel called Harvest. And apparently that's supposed to start shooting next month. Lastly, Partenope film. Partenope. Partenope. Uh, it's a film that, that's not the actual title yet, but it, it's Paolo Sorrentino's latest, his 10th film. I've all but kind of given up on Paolo Sorrentino. I, I think I'm still, you know, because I, I, I made you watch The Great Beauty when it came out in 2013. And I loved that film with Tony Servio where the, he's turning 60. I don't recall. Okay, well, we we did watch it. And anyway, uh, yeah, I haven't really... I, the Hand of God, I guess, was kind of a return to form, but I wasn't crazy about that film. But I, I, I just think that he's... I hope it's he's trying to not ape another Fellini film. But anyway, he's he's got a new project that's about film. Movies for fun. You watched A Streetcar Named Desire. Not the original classic with Vivian Lee and Brando. Uh, this is a 1984 television treatment uh, that's from the same director of Our Sons, your secret film selection from last week. This was uh, one of his many collaborations with Anne Margaret playing uh, Blanche Dubois. She won a Gram a Grammy. I think she won a Golden Globe for this performance. But I thought I quite. It's kind of a pointless remake, but you know, because any uh, cat screaming. Uh, I liked Anne Margaret as Blanche Dubois. Uh, Street Williams, I thought, was just fine as Stanley Kowalski, and then Beverly D'Angelo is uh, Stella. Back to the Future. Uh, I haven't watched this in years and years and years, and now I, I can't wait to watch two and three because I, I have no real recollections of the sequels. But this is a classic from my childhood, uh, I guess. But Michael J. Fox is uh, quite funny. It, it's It was a joy to watch. God, Christopher Lloyd, I think, was only like 46 in that. Well, I watched this movie for the first time a year ago, I think, on a, pl on a plane, maybe like going to Miami or something. And I thought it was excellent. Yes, I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I think it holds up. Crispin Glover is such a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the first Mission Impossible you watched because we saw the this, new Mission the Impossible seventh one. last week. So to prepare. Well, because I've seen them all. Uh, yeah, I have. The For years, the one I hadn't seen was number three, which I watched 
I, I have since caught up with, but um, number the second one directed by John Woo, I also want to rewatch because I haven't seen that since the year come out. And I remember hating it. Um, and God, I love Brian De Palma and. I remember, I remember um, seeing Mission Impossible with friends and my dad renting it. Uh, I, I think it came out the same time as Spy Hard with Leslie Nielsen. Anyway, oh, God. Uh, God, it was boring. The first one's really, it's just boring. I don't know. Then you watched All Dogs Go to Heaven. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I haven't also seen that since I was a child. I remember my mom buying it for me on VHS. I saw that when it came out. Um, and then... I, it, it's funny how like not seeing something in 30 plus years it all came back to me yeah it's weird watching sequences i'm like i remember this and yeah. it, i think it it's very dark it is dark um <laughs> like this is for kids <laughs> i was shocked it, it, like as an as a whole ass adult watching it like wow i can't believe but again i think that's I think it's important to teach children about sadness death and, and death yeah, grief and, and grief and loneliness. And I think maybe, you know, that might be part of the problem of, of life now is that we try to uh, sh shroud reality. But uh, I, I, I didn't cry. I think I was getting more misty eyed thinking about when you first experience things and the effect they have on you and I, and wanting to ha have that kind of feeling again, uh, which you just can't. But anyway, it's funny. I think I remember my dad making fun of Burt Reynolds singing voice as, as Charlie, but I thought he was kind of charming. I didn't know. I couldn't have told, like, I know Burt Reynolds and his voice does not register to me at all. I, th I think Dom DeLuise did some good work as Itchy, his little sidekick. <laughs> Uh, of course, Bert was married to Lonnie Anderson at the time, and she pops up as a supporting character. Um, that little girl's annoying, though, wanting parents. <laughs> oh, poor thing. <laughs> we get it, bitch. Like, poor thing. She looks crazy, but her voice. Every adult she sees, like, can these be my parents? <laughs> what, what I didn't realize is that she's voiced by a, a little Hungarian girl named Judith Barsi. Uh, who also did the voice of Ducky in The Land Before Time, another Don Bluth film. She was murdered. Her and her mother were murdered by her dad. Yeah. I think before All Dogs Go to Heaven came out, uh, that, that's a, a terrible history. Uh, but also shout out to Melba Moore, who is that pink angel dog, mm -hmm. uh, who, of course, I wouldn't have known who she was as a kid. But then there's, do you remember the alligator part? Yeah. The, like, it's like a gay alligator. <laughs> <laughs> he was giving, it voiced by Ken Page, uh, that is about to eat the Charlie, the Burt Reynolds character, until he howls in his mouth and he falls in love with Charlie's singing voice. And then they have like a duet. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's strange, but it was giving me Oogie Boogie man from nightmare before Christmas. Sure. Also this gay sounding black man. Next the attachment diaries. Uh, I had a friend reach out to me and ask if I'd seen this. It wasn't on my radar. It's from 2021, an Argentinian film from Valentin, Valentin Javier Dement. And I have to say, overall, I quite enjoyed it. And it is in that vein of lesbian killer film. So if that sounds appealing to you, please, you should seek this out. But uh, shot in black and white. Please, please seek it out. I was entertained. I, yeah, I, I could actually see there being a sequel made to this. But uh, I, yeah, it's worth a watch. And you decided to watch Hair. Yeah, I'm still on my catching up with Treat Williams kick. Uh, 
So I've seen two stage productions of Hair, and I recall liking it because, of course, watching people perform live and sing live, and Naked. in this, and then there's a sequence in the stage plays I've watched uh, seen where the cast is nude, but in this film, uh, yeah, it's not as effective, and there's no nudity. Uh, well, you see some penis imprints uh, and butt, but I, I mean, not that it doesn't feel shocking by any standards but to me it you know the film is 1979 it's milos foreman it's his follow-up to one flew over the cuckoo's nest um i most of the music i did not like and it has a feeling to me because because you know we're talking about counterculture and and flower children and uh hippies and it feels like it's a decade too late well, for people who don't know the story, Claude Bukowski leaves the family ranch in Oklahoma for New York, where he is rapidly embraced into the hippie group of youngsters led by Berger, yet he's already been drafted to the army. He soon falls in love with Sheila Franklin, a rich girl, but still a rebel inside. Oh, Beverly D'Angelo, yeah. Um, it It's not as fantastic as I feel like it should be. No, I did like a couple of songs. Uh, I think, is it? white boy black boy that song is entertaining because you it then that felt very subversive well then the song everyone knows the age of aquarius age of aquarius and, and let the sunshine in yeah those are great those songs. are great songs but most of the other songs i didn't really love oh except for to me the best part of the film is cheryl barnes and her only on-screen performance singing easy to be hard i don't even remember her now that she plays uh lafayette's huds uh, oh yes yeah. his baby she like, shows up with his baby yeah and he's with that new white girl who annoyed the hell out of me uh treats hair is a mess and he looks so much better when they cut it i agree um i yeah i agree it feels like like they thought they were like in 1979 when they made it about a decade prior and thinking that they were being really edgy mm-hmm. Because the lyrical content is really like, whoa. The lyrical content. A lot of racial stuff, a lot of. <laughs> well, I looked up the, the, of course, it was white men that wrote the musical. That's interesting. It's more awkward than provocative yeah. and kind of lame. I mean, I would imagine even by late 70s standards, it just feels kind of delayed. This commentary on the war and race and, and, and social standing. I, and you made a good comparison. It, it feels sort of delayed to me in the way that rent felt the, the rent movie yeah like when i was watching rent because i've 2005, seen yeah because yeah. i saw rent on broadway i saw it at stage productions in the you know early to mid 2000s and by the mid 2000s it just felt real and then the film just felt like it's it felt stale it feels real stale yeah <laughs> um but shout out to nell carter i think in her oh, debut as well um yeah and she looks so good yeah and sounded good. She sounded fantastic. Then we watched the Black Mirror episode, Joan is Awful, with Annie Murphy and Hal Messiah. Hal Messiah. Who's Ali Penku? She's the director of this episode. Uh, she, her, I think her debut just released, was at Sundance, called I Used to Be Funny, starring Rachel Sennett, who, uh, from Bottoms and Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. So I hadn't seen a Black We had a friend group, like, five six years ago that we divorced ourselves from and they one of them had us over a few times to watch black mirror so i saw like five episodes with them like 
five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time we, I'm seeing a new one. And we watched the one with Anthony Mackie. And I have to say it wasn't, it's a little more silly than I expected. I thought Black Mirror, Black Mirror was a little more like dark and edgy. Edgy. And this felt kind of silly. It gets silly. It, get, it has an interesting premise, though. So I'd be curious to watch additional new episodes to see if they maintain that vibe. I just can't believe within this kind of collapsed meta universe that no one decided to tell Joan any iteration of her characters that that hair is terrible. So for people who don't know, this episode is about a woman who's kind of like a shitty person. She oh, runs she- a company and we see her firing someone, but it was just business. And then we see that net, her, essentially, this woman, like her Netflix account, but they call it something else. Streamberry. Like Streamberry, yeah. But her Streamberry account, which is like Netflix, part of you know the agreement is that you're agreeing to allow the platform to use your likeness. Also, because your phone captures everything you say, they can basically use your story to create a show on the platform. Mm -hmm. So we focus on Joan and then Streamberry makes a show called Joan is Awful. And the Joan we meet initially is played by Annie Murphy, but her Streamberry version is played by Helma Syak. So we see her like potentially cheating on her boyfriend, firing an employee, and then everything she's doing in real time is being put on this platform. I thought the initial premise was really interesting, but then when they start start getting into like, oh, well, the Annie Murphy version is is not the original, is not version. the real version, but then that ver- like the Annie Murphy version is aware of that didn't quite make sense to mm-hmm. me. I also thought because the person who run like the CEO of Streamberry is saying like, oh, this is like the ultimate and like custom content. So then I thought, so everyone has their own show. So then does that like? Who's going to watch? Because they're saying AI is creating it. Mm -hmm. So then. Yeah, like it's not even really Selma Hayek, her likeness that she's allowed to be used by AI. I I feel like there were some kinks. There's some kinks. Which you can get away with on something that's like what Black Mirror is like the modern iteration of Twilight Zone, right? So uh, you can get away with not having to explain some of those things, but then. It was interesting, but I think by the time Cena or what's his name, uh, Michael Sarah, once he shows up, it got kind of silly, um, and then it started to feel a little tedious. Sure. But everyone's talking about it. I would recommend watching it. Mm-hmm. Next, you watched Haunted Summer. We're gonna table that until we talk about our secret film. Oh, uh, Poppy. Pa- Alan Arkin died this week. Oh, so oh, that's not in my obituary. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, he did. Uh, who is an Oscar-winning actor. There's a, a lot of stuff from his, early, his earlier part of career I've never seen, um, including The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, which I hope to watch this week. But he starred, he was nominated for a Golden Globe in this 1969 film from the writers of Claudine, starring Diane Carroll, uh, where he, you know, Alan Arkin, more, on more than one occasion, was cast as a Latino, which I find interesting. But he, here he's playing a very Puerto Rican man who's a divor or a widower. He's dating Rita Moreno's Lupe and he's got these two little boys and he, I think they're in Brooklyn and he notices they're starting to get involved in kind of like drag violence and they're drag gang violence and they're young. So he concocts this harebrained idea to teach them how to rowboat uh, in Central Park, and then he brings them to Florida and tosses them in the ocean uh, with the plan of making it seem like they are Cuban refugees, so they'll be granted asylum and therefore have a better life than they would 
growing a Puerto Rican in New York. Um, I thought I ended up being quite moved by it. Um, and it was touching it, this would have spur a television series that was short lived, but would star somebody who's actually Puerto Rican or part Puerto Rican was Hector Elizondo, but it was worth a watch. To me. Hmm. Uh, uh, he would also play, uh, did you ever see freebie in the bean? No. Oh, that's a problematic movie, but not even because, uh, Alan Arkin is playing a cop named bean, uh, <laughs> who's supposed to be Mexican. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And, and, uh, James Conn is freebie, but there is, um, a killer that is trans, I believe. And there's this really, uh, yeah, the, it's worth a watch just for how problematic it is. But anyway, you watched, well, I guess I watched part of it too. Twins with Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. The director by Ivan Reitman. I, I fell asleep like half an hour in and I thought what I watched was really funny, but then you said it became stale. I think it's, it's cute to a degree. I think the setup is cute and odd enough. Uh, and then it just gets real hokey to me. I don't oh. know. And also, I don't like Kelly Preston. I don't like Kelly Preston. Danny, uh, Danny DeVito is always funny to me. He is funny, but he's he looks like he's the prototype for Penguin in this movie. Uh, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is cute. He's cute and charming yeah. in his way. It, in fact, it made me want to rewatch all of them reunited uh, in Junior from 1994, oh. where Arnold plays the pregnant man. That's right. Then we watched the 1988 film called Grotesque, oh. starring Linda Blair and Tab Hunter. When I saw there was a Linda Blair Tab Hunter movie, I'm like, why haven't I seen this? And the poster art, people should look this up. But the story, a gang of crazed punks breaks into a family's vacation home in the mountains and slaughters the entire family, except for one daughter who gets away. That... I had read that before we watched it, and I so that sounded interesting. Uh -huh. Well, it's very Last House on the Left. But this film is it's definitely more than just a slasher movie. It is. And the first, like, 20 minutes were a hoot. <laughs> like, a literal hoot. But the, the, the final, like, 45 minutes is like, oh, God. It, it's boring. <laughs> the I, acting's I, terrible. Linda Blair is a horrible actress. Yeah, <laughs> she's really bad. She can't do anything right. Nothing. And this gang of crazed punks. That they call punkers. Oh, my God. they The leader, he's screaming more than Tura Satana. Uh, I know at the end of every day he had a sore throat and oh, a headache yeah. because he's just, I can just imagine the reverb in his own skull mm -hmm. from shouting these lines, growling these lines. And then poor Tab Hunter. Has nothing to do well he's got a big reveal he there is there are two reveals in this that don't quite make sense uh and i'd be curious to know if the director barbarian had been familiar with this film we have a minute i, I feel like we should describe this because this might have made for a good secret movie but linda blair's parents live in like the hills of san bernardino mm -hmm. and the dad is like a notable hollywood special effects oh, artist and that's guy stockwell that's dean stockwell's brother from uh quantum leap mm -hmm. So she, on her way with her best girlfriend to go visit her parents, kind of have an, a run-in with these punks. Like, they, their van is broken down, but really it's just a setup because they're trying to rob people. And the, and the mom looks like Lady Elaine Fairchild, the Mr. Rogers puppet. The mom <laughs> is really strong in the face. <laughs> like, yeah. She anyway. needed 
she needed Julie Andrews lighting from our sons. Yep. That lady was real strong in the face. But anyway, they have a run in with the punks on their way to uh, the parents' house. So when we get to the parents' house, the dad is super weird. Yeah. Super weird. Uncomfortably weird. Everyone in the house goes to bed and then the punks break in and immediately slaughter everyone except Linda Blair. Who gets away. But then we find out there's like a person living in like a secret room in the house. Like, yeah. like they're kind of locked away. They're locked away in a soundproof area of the house. Like Gary Busey in that one movie. Hider in the house. That I referenced like. You reference that all the time. I reference that. It's such a, it's time. kind of an obscure B film. Uh, <laughs> um, that Carol King does voice work in the beginning of. But this man who's hiding in the house, we find out, well, first of all, he is deformed. He has a physical deformity. His face looks like. <laughs> it has. Like sometimes people's like uh, buttholes when they have like. Oh no, cauliflower. Yeah, and then like, and then they'll have that one piece of skin that's hanging, like a tag, like mm -hmm. a tag, like a deflated skin tag. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like <laughs> that always creeps. So I was like, oh, it looks like a tapeworm head. Anyway, uh, he has growths coming off of him like pods on a plant. Anyway, we find out that that's basically Linda Blair's brother, adopted this, brother, adopted. Like th this family found him when he was young, but for some reason they have him locked in a room, a soundproof room in the house. So it's like they're not treating him very well. But anyway, he gets out and starts killing the, the punks, the marauders. Mm -hmm. But then Tab Hunter plays Linda Blair's uncle, who's her a, dad's brother, who's a plastic surgeon. who's a plastic surgeon, and he shows up with the police and the punks. Okay, convince the police that it's the mutant brother who killed everyone. Uh huh. Linda Blair's in the hospital, in and coma. we see her in a coma, yeah. and then like. She just dies, so that was pointless. But so now, and she's a producer on this. I think like you couldn't demand, you couldn't have like any a better role. But Tab Hunter and the police are now trying to find the mutant brother to get to the bottom of things. And then when Tab sees him, he very slowly and like acknowledges, like, "Oh, that's my nephew." Yeah. But it's too late. The police kill him by shooting him in the face. Mm -hmm. So now Tab Hunter's mad, and he wants revenge on the punks. So he there's only two of them left. There's only two left: the the leader and his little girlfriend. And he captures them. And we see another gag is that Tab Hunter is deformed, like in the face, and that the version of Tab Hunter we saw was a mask he made for himself. No, that the brother made, who was a Hollywood or the special, brother, who, yeah, artist. yeah. And then the film ends with this zany at like breaking the fourth wall where we see like the producers of the film and the executives at the film studio watching the film. And then like the film, like the, who do you call the, the projectionist is Frankenstein's monster and the, the werewolf has been tied up by Wolfman and Frankenstein, Wolfman and Frankenstein. the monster and the universal horror. This movie it sounds like it would be a crazy ride, but I swear only like 30 minutes of it is fun. It's not good. It's it's trying to rip off Wes Craven. And remember those, you know, did you ever see FX with Brian Brown? And Yes. Yeah. Like, so I would definitely recommend it. I believe it's on, how did we watch it? It was on Prime, I think. Watching Linda Blair. Oh God. I still have some catching up to do with some of her like later teen year stuff because it's, I, I just have to be in a certain mood because it's kind of like how I feel about Shirley Temple. I don't like watching her. There's a scene in the beginning where 
Linda Blair and her friend stop at a Burger King. All of it is funny to me. Yeah. And Linda Blair... <laughs> She can't. She, she can't deliver any line right. Not a single line is delivered well. She actually does. She puts her hands on her hips to chastise her dad at one point. She acts like someone who's making fun of acting. That's how she acts. Like if I had to act, and because I'm not an actor, I would probably like mock it. That's how she's like. Acting. She should be in Reno 911. Yeah, and even that wouldn't. Even then, she wouldn't be strong. Like only the cameo in the first scream, I think, maybe worked. Uh, so as you already mentioned, there is an entry in the obituary section. Mr. Arkin, yeah. Alan Arkin passed. What else do we know him from? Well, he won an Oscar for Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, right. I know you never saw Argo. No. He's in a film adaptation of Joseph. That's a bank robbery movie, right? No. That's the one where Ben Ben Affleck has to go save the, uh, it's during the Iranian Revolution and they have to save the Americans that are in the, that are being held hostage in the embassy. What's the Ben Affleck bank robbery movie? The town. Oh, the town. Mm-hmm. With Jeremy Renner uh, and Rebecca Hall. Well, goodbye to this man. Yeah, I mean, he he was up there, and I think he still had stuff coming out. Like he was he was working right up to the end. Um, yeah. Let's take another break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's secret film was Nick's choice, Mm -hmm. and it was the 1986 British psychological horror film called Gothic, which is directed by Ken Russell. The great Ken Russell, who I love and adore. I believe our very first podcast episode. Where we... we, uh, Oh, no, it's not our very first. It's the first episode we decided to switch the format and just do secret movies. Mm -hmm. We did a Ken Russell movie. It was my choice to do The Lair of the White Worm. Why did you choose Gothic? Uh, because we have confirmed that the remains of Mr. Julian Sands have been found. Uh, so this was a, a way to kind of commemorate him in a way that wasn't so obvious. Because immediately I thought of maybe we should do Boxing Helena, but that is not. A well, if people requested arachnophobia. Which I've seen relatively recently and I had no desire to rewatch that. And then of course there's a room with a view, but I've never read Ian Forster's book, which I've always wanted to read first. It's a a very celebrated James Ivory production. It also reminds me that Eddie Izzard bit about a room with a view of hell. Um, But anyway, so I chose Gothic, which I haven't seen in years and years. And I remember being quite fond of. I really didn't like this movie. <laughs> yes, I think we're in disagreement about I really this didn't like this movie. The story, the Shelleys visit Lord Byron and compete to write a horror story. So the Shelleys, uh, specifically Mary Shelley, the woman who wrote Frankenstein. Yes, who, of course, is the daughter of Mary Wollstonecraft, who wrote A Vindication on the Rights of Woman. The story is very basic. So Mary Shelley and her husband, played by... Julian Sands. And Mary Shelley is played by Natasha Richardson in her film debut. They show up on boat uh, to Lord Byron's private estate. Private estate. Lord Byron is played by Gabriel Byrne. Mm -hmm. And they um, 
there's the also a doctor there played by timothy spall dr polidori who i believe wrote the vampire and there's a fifth person a woman named uh claire played by miriam sear was she ever in anything else um i didn't recognize her is, she has a really interesting look she god those eyeballs uh she this was also her debut she's in species two and uh i shot andy warhol Anyway, these five people are at Lord Byron's estate and things start getting weird, very generically weird. People are having visions. Someone's pre Claire's pregnant. We find out Mary Natasha Richardson's character lost a baby. Mm -hmm. Like they're. <sighs> well, and also uh, Percy Bishelli is addicted to laudanum. So there's, the, you know, people are going out of their minds a little bit. The. Timothy Spall's character, the doctor, appears to be homosexual. And uh -huh. he's like sort of like his suppression, repression, whatever is driving him crazy. Well, I get this. Well, Lord Byron is kind of this bisexual Lothario as well. So, And then, yeah, Lord Byron is kind of appealing to everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't even know what it amounts to. Uh, well, it's, it's about it's the summer that caused the inspiration for her to write Frankenstein and kind of the themes of their conversations and their personal and philosophical dilemmas that they're navigating if a person is familiar with the novel you can kind of see little things that might have influenced because there's something about electricity and yes you uh, know but julian sands you see his butt as he's on the rooftop yeah yeah <laughs> reaching to the heavens um but it's all i think about like men in childbirth because what frankenstein is is about a, you know a man trying to give birth himself right to to sidestep woman all all completely but instead of giving life men can only pervert death there isn't a single thing about this movie i liked really I except think it, julian sands but i don't know what else is worth and then yeah i loved how it looked oh i hated how it looked see but it <laughs> even as the title indicates it's uh talking about it the the ghost stories that they're starting to read to each other the german translated uh, phantasmagoria this feels like what gothic scary stories were at the time there's people kind of going out of their minds and or uh scaring themselves see i think it was so ineffective as like a creepy gothic horror type film because the way it was shot this movie to me looks like scary movie oh, when no. they do the skits where it's like medieval or old-timey time this felt like a, like it could have been a skit in like a scary movie except there are no jokes then so it's not creepy at all because i i just think the colors the lighting none of it put me in a mood of like oh something creepy is about to happen then all the weird stuff that's happening the effects aren't very effective so it's kind of laughable oh see i think there's so many things going on at the in the, out of the corner of your eye like you it, how people convince themselves they're seeing things that i thought looked really good there are a couple of things like the portrait with the horse. I think that well, like okay. the, 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 the movie poster art with that little man, which, so the movie poster art, which is a scene actually from the movie where Mary Shelley is lying in bed. It's a recreation of the 1781 painting nightmare by uh, Henry Fuseli. Um, so it, it, yeah, that was something else I liked, I, but I, I liked, I liked the feel of it, Oof. but it, it also, you know, it's not a horror film. It's also, what is it then? Because it's not funny. It's, and then the dramatic parts, because unfortunately, the acting is not the best. Julian Sands, 
probably is giving the worst performance in the film. So as a drama, like those moments don't really work because the ADR and the acting are not great. I don't think it's, uh, I think it's just meant to be kind of a, a playful, I think there are bits of comedy in it. I think Timothy Spall is very much a Ken Russell character in this. And I, I was highly entertained by him. Uh, wow. It, it was also giving, you know, and there are Ken Russell touches because somebody's having a nightmare about the, the night uh, with the rhino like penis. I mean, which was giving me very much the Anthony Perkins steel dildo and crimes of passion. Um, but I, w- I also thought of Joanne Hogg's eternal daughter with Tilda Swinton a little bit. It is, I- giving that same vibe of this gothic castle. I just didn't find any of that interesting. Like the rhino penis. Then there's a scene where Julian Sands character sees like a belly dancer who has like, who's also like, looks like they're made out of paper mache. And then they're like this woman's breasts, like her areolas, her eyes. Oh, that's Claire. I liked that part too. <laughs> I Well, I thought the only interesting thing about the film is you're referring to Claire, the character with her, Titi's having eyes mm-hmm. at the end, but in the beginning when he sees this like statue turn into a living thing, I thought that didn't look the best. And then it just felt weird in that way. That's like, we're going to do something weird. I don't know. It, yeah. Well, so my side note, I would, and I'd always wanted to watch Yvonne Passer's um, Haunted Summer, which was two years after this and is covering the exact same summer with the exact same people. It's the same historical figures with Alice Kriege as Mary Shelley. Lord Dern is Claire. Uh, and I'm, my mind is blinking on who else is in that. But, uh, but that film, if you didn't like this, that film I thought was very dull. I don't have many notes. Timothy Spall reminds me of Heather Maserato. See, I thought he Maserazzo. was. Say her name. Heather Maserato from Welcome uh, to the Dog. I wanted to say Maserati. <laughs> Heather Matarazzo looks like Timothy Spall. Uh, I thought he looked like Jonah Hill. Oh, in the other version, in Haunted Summer, Eric Stoltz is Percy Shelley. Oh. Uh, the Then we get these like puddles of what look like semen looks, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I just, again, this movie, I didn't like the look of it. The acting's not serious enough to take it seriously. I think... Mary Shelley's sort of plot point about losing a child was laughable in an uncomfortable way. Julian Sands acting and the way he's moving his mouth. I think he's very attractive, but he... He's supposed to be high, but yeah. Oh, it. but I think because of the ADR, it's just like, ooh. Again, I don't think the cinematography lends itself to seeming gothic and creepy. Maybe the set design does, but I like I thought the lighting was really off, and then it wasn't that funny to me. Like, you think the doctor is hilarious? I, I didn't say hilarious. I think that you I was said in, he was highly entertaining. He was highly entertaining to me. Yeah, yeah. I I don't see it at all. Um, okay, well, I I want to leave somebody that is a better writer than I am. Uh, I like what he had to write about this film because I do enjoy this film. Uh, Harlan Ellison wrote. Gothic is loopy and fatally flawed and an aberration, yet I treasure this film. So may you, if you, as am I, are out of your head. You will cleave to this tortured bit of cinematic epilepsy because it is alive. It is yet another crime of passion committed by Ken Russell, and his sort of berserk creativity has fallen on such hard times in this age of Reagan and yuppie sensibility that simply to be exposed to the ravings of an inspired madman 
is cathartic. I came away from Gothic with my soul on fire. The final assertion of critical judgment on Gothic is not whether or not it is good or whether one likes it or not. The undeniable truth of Gothic, as in all the work of Ken Russell, an artist who is either so mad or so foolhardy as to not care if he wins or loses, is that it is palpably alive. It is riot and ruin and pandemonium, but it will have you by the nerve. Pandemonium? This shit is not pandemonium. Okay. It's not. It's really not. I, I'm i not trying to be difficult. I like really weird things. I liked Lair of the White Worm. But that, it felt like a fantasy land. Like when we get to the area where this big worm is and even the, like the ladies and that, like I loved how that farmhouse, like in the countryside was shot. Mm-hmm. It worked. And yes, that damn worm was super weird. I like weird things. I just didn't think this, it wasn't funny. I couldn't take it seriously as a dramatic piece. It wasn't creepy. So then I'm like, what is the purpose of this? And then as inspiration, like, because when you when you put it on and I realized what it was, then I looked it up and it's like, oh, based on like what, like a, an interpretation of what may have inspired Mary Shelley's yes, Frankenstein. It's all very loose. I mm-hmm. was expecting something very different, which is not the film's fault, but it's also like, what is the purpose of this? What, like, what are we doing here? And I don't like, because to me, this is the same as like Asteroid City. Oh no, no. I feel about Aster- this movie, how I felt about Asteroid City. It's like someone is just, doing their yeah well i I respectfully disagree with that comparison uh because i think there's a lot more going on here because there's an actual purpose to this what is the purpose it's about our creating our own horror that we're trapped inside and it's about mortality versus immortality and what what lives beyond the grave and and in essence all that lives beyond are as someone says in this thoughts thoughts are immortal. yeah but you can come up with something like that for asteroid city that it's about the absurdity of life and how nothing's what it's i'm seen. sure you could if you happen to be a fan of that film but I'm. but not. that's what i'm saying you're a fan of this you know i mean it's like i'm not saying you can't like it or that you don't feel how you feel about it i'm well for me i just don't see it okay that's fine so that's... i'm just so i was just surprised that you liked it so much but i'm a, i'm a ken russell fan for the most part i don't love every film but th- and this isn't my favorite that's why i read the harlan ellison quote is i th- i do think it's flawed but it it also is uh from somebody that's idiosyncratic and and interesting and even if you aren't kind of uh, even if he's not in top form is still <laughs> it just sounds like you're making excuses for someone you like because <laughs> you're not as forgiving to other things which is totally reasonable of course I, that's how I, people I, are uh, yeah of course that but i mean that that is my predisposition uh and, and i like him and i like this film i don't know yeah no i only have a few more notes i did not like the score the score sounded like i was in an adventure movie like <laughs> so then so now it's like supposed to be drama comedy horror and like an adventure it was just taking me too many places that didn't make sense we do see julian um kissing gabriel Mm -hmm. which was interesting there's lots of you know ken russell often had queer element i mean he he's responsible with women in love for filming the first scene of male nudity between oliver reed and alan bates then we get visuals of like Natasha Richard, Mary Shelley's character, or Mary Shelley, like visuals of like the baby she lost. And, and then we got like a newborn baby that looks like it's covered in that strawberry glaze. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted it to be more, I was expecting it to be way more weird. Well, because even like Dr. 
God, what's his name? Timothy Spall's character. He's staying in a room that I hated the way the room was shot. And like, it's a very, it almost reminded me of the room that Linda Blair, speaking of her, is in in The Exorcist. Sure. Where it's just this bed and this empty room and then there's a cross above it. And the way it's shot, it's always at an angle and him like in the bed because there's a point where he hears people having sex and then he's like all this pent up sexuality, mm-hmm. I guess, is he can't take it. And he ends up like piercing his hand, like the stigmata with the nail that's holding up the crucifix. So it's like, well, that's really symbolic. He wants to like, if I'm not being too subtle. So that was kind of corny to me. And then I just thought his, I was just expecting it to be way, way over the top. And it was, I just thought it was very like, I'm not going to keep ragging on this movie. I can, I don't think it's like, how could anyone like this? I'm just surprised oh, you good. like it. No, I, I do. I do. And I, I don't think I, it's a shit movie. I don't, though. I can, I understand that it might not be to anybody's liking. And I understand that it's far from perfect, but I do, I do like it. I would much rather see someone attempting to do something interesting like this than a lot of the shit I see now. But, uh, so you enjoyed this movie. I do. You yes. were sitting there howling and I did enjoy it. I was into it. I agree with what you're saying that you like I would also prefer someone be be uh, stay true to their taste and their vision and and make something weird for sure. And being more forgiving because it's a And and, and I probably am also clinging to something that I hate the response of the moral majority to most of Ken Russell's works uh, and, and diminishing him as tacky to which, you know, to all those people want to just say like, well, fuck off. But uh, I don't know. You're tacky too though. So I think you gravitate towards that, which is fine. I like tacky things. Um, So I, I don't think this is like a poorly made movie. Mm -hmm. Um, My score would reflect like, my enjoyment level sure in this regard again i understand again i think i was also i don't know what i was going to be expecting from haunted summer which came out two years after this but i mean i think that was a good case in point of okay so this other uh kind of oh so you didn't talk about that so i brought it up several times in this conversation but oh you did uh uh-huh where i said alice kreege played mary shelley and eric stoles was percy and Laura Dern was Claire. Okay. And the doctor was played by uh, what's his nuts from uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, uh, Alex Winter. Okay. Uh, but yeah, that felt like this was a response to uh, establishing something a little more proper concerning these people. But uh, I, I really I didn't care for it, despite liking all of those all, all the actors. What would you give this movie? Three. Three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would give it one and a half out of five, <laughs> but not because it's shit filmmaking. That that's just my level of enjoyment. Mm-hmm. What else would you like to say? <sighs> that's it. I I mean I'm, I can't. I'm I'm bummed you didn't uh, have a reverence for it, but that's okay. Well, you know the Devils is in my top ten of all time. But again, I I say that to people, and I get the same response. Like, how can you like that? I film? also think too, like. Well, I've talked about this in the podcast many times is like you select things knowing that we have to talk about it. And sometimes I feel like, well, but I do enjoy talking about this. No. And so that's a good choice for you. But then it's also like for me, it was just really hard to as I was watching. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say. That isn't like I don't like it. 
but that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. No, no. But I think that's a good indication for me. I enjoy stories where it's like something pops out, something's memorable, nothing about this movie. The only vision I'll remember is like, uh, Julian stands on the roof naked. Not the creature, uh, hunched up over Natasha. I mean, the movie poster, yes. Yeah, for sure. And I do agree that piece of artwork with the horse is creepy, but it just, nothing really, like, sent me. So I was surprised because when you told me, oh, this is the person who did Lair of the White Worm, I was expecting something really oh, interesting. And I had just rewatched Salome's Last Dance because Glenda Jackson died. He often worked with Glenda. Um, but, you know, the success that this, that Gothic had, I think at least on home video, kind of allowed him to continue his career through the 80s. And that's how he was able to do something like Lair of the White Worm, which is a bit more lavish. Well, this week there are a few videos coming out for Joyride, Earth Mama, and the BET Plus original Call Her King. <laughs> or as I keep saying in the video, Call Her By Her King. <laughs> call Her By Her King name. Call Her By Her King name. Um, and then... We have a couple things to get through before I leave this week. I'm watching Insidious. Will be well, we'll review it, but you have to watch it separate separately. from me. Uh, and I think we're watching a few things. Yeah, we have uh, Amanda and the, the the lesson are things I want to watch before I leave. Oh, we're finishing up The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart. Finishing up The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart, which I am enjoying. Yes. But those reviews won't drop for like another seven weeks, I think. Well, the first because it doesn't come out till August. 4th. August fourth is when it starts unspooling, and then we're going to drop the videos on the days that the new episodes come out. So <laughs> it's going to be a long time before I see these again. But mm -hmm. anyway, do you have anything else you'd like to say? Um, I was going to read a favorite poem of mine, and what is inspiring this action? Percy Bysshe Shelley. Okay, because who Julianne Sands? Julianne Julian Sands uh, portrayed in in the film Gothic. Well, everyone, welcome to the stage, Nicholas Bell. It's a it's a poem called Ozymandias. Oh, your uh, <laughs> your sexual uh, alter your how your by what your your I was gonna say your sexual alter ego <laughs> is Ozymandias. <laughs> I don't know that I would say that. Well, we'll see. Go ahead. Okay. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor, well, who, well those passions read, which yet survived stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings, look on my works, ye mighty in despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sand stretch far away. And what does this poem mean to you? <laughs> well, it's a poem about uh, somebody feeling that they're so important that they're having this monument erected to them and all that's left is it's lost in the sands of time. It means nothing. Why do you like it? <sighs> I just think... I like Shelley's attitude towards people's self-importance and egotism and how really none of that shit matters. All right. Well, anything else? Uh, no. Okay. Bye.